Welcome. You are listening to the Curiosity Never Retires podcast presented by the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at University of the Pacific. So welcome to the Curiosity Never Retires podcast. Today, our guest is Alan Hitt. Ollie member, Ollie advisory board member, curriculum committee member, all-around active member. (laughs) Uh, Alan Hitt, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jennifer. Glad to be here. Yes. So as always with our podcast, we uh, want to get to know uh, the person a little bit better. Um, So would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself? No, not at all. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Do tell. Well, I was, I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas, where the university is located and went to the University of Kansas for my undergraduate work. And then I came out to California for graduate study after serving in the army for a couple of years. Uh, I came out in 1970 to do some graduate work and I've stayed (laughs) ever since. Um, so you stayed, you came to Stockton? No, I I was in school at Stanford for a couple of years, got a master's degree there, and then came to Stockton. Well, I, I was a, a Chinese studies student. I got a, a master's degree in Chinese studies, and that was my undergraduate major. And I also got an education, uh, an MA in education, and was looking around for teaching jobs and found one at Lincoln High in Stockton, where I taught social studies for 10 years. And at about that time, I figured I maybe needed a change. And so I went into computer programming, where I'd gotten a certificate at Delta College. And I worked at Delta. Well, I had really three programming jobs, but the longest one was at Delta from 1985 to 2010, where I was a programmer analyst. And I retired officially in 2010, but I worked a couple more years part-time for uh, Delta. And uh, I've been really totally retired since about 2012. So I see, I hear that happening a lot with people retiring or trying to retire. With someone like you, you were there so long, I'm sure you were hard, that was hard for them to fill your shoes. So they're like trying to hang on to you probably as long as they could. That happens a lot at Delta uh, for people who've been around for a while. There are a lot of people who come back and work uh, because they have that institutional knowledge. Right. The resource, uh, it's hard. They they wouldn't want to let them go. (laughs) That's that's basically it. Right, right. Although at the time I left, um, they were trying to save money. And so they were offering an annuity uh, to people uh, who would who had been there for a while, who wanted to retire. And the year I officially retired, there were about 60 of us, uh, both faculty and staff, who who went out and they saved something oh, like $6 million. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I love hearing how uh, the variety that you've had through your career too. Like you started with uh, was it Chinese, Chinese studies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you transitioned into education and then you just went into the computer section. So um, I think that's really good to hear for like younger people that you don't have to just pick one thing and stick with that the rest of your life. Cause that's scary. You know, when you're younger, like <laughs> choosing 
I'm going through that right now with my son, right? Mm -hmm. He's um, trying to decide uh, what he wants to do in, in college. And so um, I told him, you know, don't be scared. Pick something you want to do. And if it changes later, that's okay. You'll have your degree. <laughs> that's that's mm -hmm. the important part. But, um, but going back to your undergrad Chinese um, studies, did you go to China? Well, like as part of your, your studies? Or? Well, yes, I did. Um, in 1967, I spent six months in Taiwan as part of um, a language study program through the university. It was kind of a junior half-year abroad program. And I thought really that was a great experience for learning a language and about a culture yes. because I was totally immersed in it. For the first three months, I studied at a Chinese university and had three Chinese roommates. And then in, in the summer, I lived with a family uh, in a different city. And wow. so we were, I, sometimes people wanted to speak English with me, some of the students at the university. And I said, well, I really would rather speak Chinese because I've come 10,000 miles to learn your language. <laughs> so it's total immersion. It, it was total immersion. Okay. And I really think that six months studying there was worth the whole rest of the time I studied in the U.S. In, in regular classes. Yeah. And I also went to the mainland in 1975, not long after China had opened up to the U.S., uh, and that was about a three-week stay, uh, a, a tour, with a number of other people, mostly in education. Hmm. And that was, a, that was a lot of fun, too. Mm -hmm. To go back and mm -hmm. just kind of see... But that was that was the mainland, which and Taiwan is is different in that it's it's an island and it's it really is more of an independent country. So going back, so you went back in what year was that with the other educators? Oh, that was nineteen seventy five. Seventy five. Mm -hmm. Okay, so about ten years later, not quite from your first visit. Mm -hmm. Have mm -hmm. you been back since then? No, no, I haven't. Oh. Um, Let's see. Uh, no, not 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 to China. I've traveled a lot. After I retired, I have had that chance to travel a lot, and I've really enjoyed that. But I haven't been back to Asia hmm. for a long time. Do you still speak Chinese fluently? I still speak it, and it comes back pretty pretty readily. But you know, I don't really yeah how, ha I have mean, much opportunity. As to I was going to say, it. what's your, if you're not you know traveling there or in teaching it or some kind of world around that revolves around that culture, you wouldn't be using it too much. Right. Uh, although once in a while, I've been on trips like one, one day in France, my friend and I were having lunch and we over, we overheard a, a couple next to us speaking Chinese. And I, I told my friend, well, they're speaking Chinese. And so I, I, I spoke a few words to them, and they looked very shocked to see <laughs> to see an American in France speaking Chinese. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of unique. <laughs> yeah, it was. That's awesome. That must have been fun. It was that, fun. Uh, it was fun. Be able to talk with someone. I, I can direction. use it occasionally when I hear people speaking Chinese or in restaurants and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you got your education in that, and then you got your under uh, your master's in education. Master's in education and in Chinese studies. And Chinese studies. Mm -hmm. Okay. So were you planning to teach Chinese or uh, language? Or? Well, I was hoping to find a, find a place where I could use my 
Chinese background and teach. And Lincoln was, the, the reason I, I was offered a job at Lincoln was that the principal uh, had spent some time in Asia and was married to a Japanese woman. And he was really interested in starting some kind of an Asian studies program at, at Lincoln High. And so when he saw my background and there was one other fellow in social studies who had spent some time abroad, why he sort of tapped us to start something up uh, about Asia, a class about Asia. Mm -hmm. So uh, in a way, I was, you know, I was able to uh, to realize that goal um, that that we had set. And the program grew to become a requirement for all sophomores. And it wasn't just about China. It was called Cultures of the World. And we spent about six weeks on China and India and at the time Soviet Union and Latin America and so forth. So mm -hmm. um, I was happy to see that. We got a an international education component started at the high school. That's great. Yeah, yeah. that's a feel good, something you were um, passionate about. You were able, able to bring it to the students and kind mm -hmm. of share that with them, make mm -hmm. it a new program. That's really, really cool. Um, so then you went to Delta after that with a few other um, places that you were able to do the computer. Well, I took my, my computer, computer science, science classes yeah. at Delta and I took several different computer languages. And then, uh, it was kind of tough to find a job, a beginning programming job, because there weren't a lot around Stockton. When was that? So the this 80s, was 19, this is late seventies mm. that I completed the certificate. And I started, I started programming in, uh, as a job in late 1982 with SMUD in Sacramento. Mm. And the, they had, the reason I was able to get a job there is they had a large staff and they had a competitive exam. Uh, so I was able to get, Did start, well start the there. You know, <laughs> That's great. You know. um, you're ahead of your time. <laughs> now you would, it would be a whole different scenario, you know, out there looking for a job with that now, mm -hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So that's that's great. And then you ended up at Delta. Now you're retired and mm -hmm. you're busy doing stuff with Ollie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I've always been I've always been interested in education. I've always liked school. I've I finally realized I was kind of unusual. <laughs> <laughs> that you <laughs> that like I school. I <laughs> like school and I like tests because I always felt I could do well. And so Ollie sort of seemed like a natural to me to um you know the the intellectual stimulation, having classes, keeping up with keeping up with what's going on mm -hmm. in the world and around here, right? And that sort of thing. Yeah. So, how did you hear about Ollie? A friend? Yeah. Uh, some friends uh, had taken the uh, qigong, the Taiji qigong class, uh, and they were they really liked it and. One of them was on the board, Mike Sharp, and he said, oh, you ought to check out Ollie. And so finally one day I did. I looked at the catalog and I said, hey, you know, look like a lot of interesting things in here. And uh, that's, you know, that's, where it that's started. how I got started. Do you remember started. when that was? That was about 2015. Okay. Uh, looking back, I think the that spring term in 2015. Okay. 
And then somehow we recruited you for the advisory board. <laughs> well, I did a lot of things. I took a lot of classes the first two years. And I think uh, the director at the time thought, well, maybe he's, he'd be interested in being, in being on the board. Yeah. And so it was two years later. It was I've been on the board since 2017. Okay. And I was really happy to get on the curriculum committee, too, because I think that's where the action <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely is. our most popular committee. We have five committees, so it's curriculum, <clears throat> fundraising, volunteer, membership, and marketing. Those mm -hmm. are our five committees. Everyone on the advisory board is required to be on a committee. But not everyone can be on the curriculum committee. No, I know. Popular. I feel fortunate. <laughs> and I really enjoy the current group of people on the uh, committee, too. They're very lively and have lots of good ideas. Yeah. And it, it's it's fun. Yeah, lots of good um, ideas, feedback, suggestions. You know, we're always trying to look for new speakers, new classes that might pique people's interest and draw them into wanting to be an Ollie member. Sometimes it's all it takes is like we might be doing something that interests them. So they, mm -hmm. they dive in and give us, give Ollie a try. Mm -hmm. I think then, that's how a lot of people get started. Right. Like you but, said, with the Tai Chi. They, right? I, and I didn't do that right away, but um, oh. my sister is quite a birder. She's been president of a local Audubon society back in, back in Kansas. And, um, over the years, I started going to the Lodi Crane Festival, and then I saw David Yee is a great, great birder, authority on birds, and he was teaching some classes and having some outings, and I thought, well, that would be fun. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. birding. Um, birding is very popular. It's getting bigger even. We mm -hmm. do three birdings a semester right now, and it can be anywhere from 15 to 20 people mm -hmm. at a bird. We call them bird safaris, you know, mm -hmm. so you're out, you know. Like searching. Yeah, I've been on <laughs> two or three of his, and he he's always good. He's so enthusiastic, and he knows so much. So uh, much, so yeah. knowledgeable. He we also have he started doing a class for us for people who want to learn more about birding. So when they're out and about doing the actual birding, looking at the birds, um, they have more information of what they're looking for or looking at. And uh, yesterday he had a class. And after the class, one of the Ollie members was showing him pictures that he took in the last birding and some travel. Mm -hmm. uh, he took pictures of birds, his avid birder, too. And David was just saying exactly which bird they were. He knew every one, <laughs> like 90% of them. He's like, oh, that's a crane. That's a, I don't know, I'm not very good at birding. That's a red right. feathered whatever. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I have no idea. Right. But he knew them all. He knew as soon as oh, he saw yeah. it, like, bam, bam, bam. And these were bird. Uh, not just local photos they took, but um, I think it was Costa Rica, maybe somewhere in Africa. Oh, really? So not even local birds, and he knew them all. <laughs> I was really impressed. Oh, he is really one of the foremost authorities in this in this area. Yeah. In the whole valley, I think. Yeah, he's been doing it since he was a kid his whole mm -hmm. life. So. And I'd like to take that class. It just has conflicted uh, uh, this semester and last with some other things mm -hmm. I had going on. Okay, well, we'll make sure he keeps doing it until yeah, it hope, works. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, um, it's a good class. Uh, so much, I mean, so interesting. Some of the things mm -hmm. that I would like to do someday. <laughs> I wish I could sit in on all of our classes and participate mm -hmm. in all of our things. It's hard, but I'm glad we're able to at least offer them. What else do you like doing, Ollie? So you do the birding, you've done the Tai Chi, I've or you still the, do the Tai Chi? Yeah, I'm still doing the Tai Chi. Um, oh, I've tended to like most the uh, adventure experiential kinds of things 
and the the wine tastings have always been fun. I I listened to Cheryl's uh, Cheryl Killsdonk's podcast about the wine tasting groups keep showing up, and I think that is true. That that's one thing that makes it fun. But I am amazed at. Um, how many wineries there are in this area now, mm -hmm. and how each one seems to have a distinct uh, personality. Right. Uh, really, really different environment, depending on the, the people that are there and their, you know, their terrain and the whole right. thing. Yeah, there's a huge variety. I think the last time I heard, I don't know, it was up to almost 100 wineries in our I think, area. I think that's about right. And it could be anywhere from a corporation that has mm -hmm. like a bottling plant. We've done a tour, a place like that, Any, to a really small mom and pop that barely our tour group fit in there, mm -hmm. <laughs> in their tasting room. Mm -hmm. um, and everything in between. We have tours from the owners, uh, tours uh, just straight that just do tasting. Sometimes we have wine and cheese, mm -hmm. you know, at some of them. So we try, we had one that was really interesting where, the owner, they have owned the land since like the late 1800s and they have pictures and they had a book and they, we had like a little story time and they told us all about mm -hmm. the history of how the I, wine I went on that yeah. one. That was Jesse's Grove. Jesse's like, Grove. Wine, yeah. Right? The owner was like the granddaughter of the original so, owner. Something like that. Anyway, so. they had, she had a really cool book with photos and just mm -hmm. explained how they came, when they came to California. And it was like mm -hmm. I said, like a little story time. She showed us her book and we mm -hmm. sat in a big circle and it's like a little history lesson about Lodi. And, right. you know, so each, each uh, tour that we do for the wineries or tasting is just, um, yeah, they've all been really different and fun. Right, and I try to sign up for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I really didn't know much about wine at all when I moved out here and didn't really follow it until about maybe 10 years ago when Lodi just started taking off as one of the the wine regions in the whole state. Yeah. And it's a, it's, I think they've done a very effective job in marketing that whole thing and, and developing a lot of their tourism around the wine uh, yeah. wineries. Yeah, that's really smart. And then, I mean, we've all, I don't know, have you ever been to Napa or Sonoma? Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're <clears throat> right up there with them as far as the quality and the, and, but it's, it's uh, less crowded, mm -hmm. more affordable if you just want to spend the day tasting. The right, right. <laughs> so It doesn't have the, the natural setting that Napa and Sonoma do, but it really... Right. It really has a lot of good wineries, and they've—I've noticed in in recent years, several of them have really upgraded their uh, tasting rooms too to be a lot like the mm -hmm. Napa Sonoma wine yeah. tasting rooms. Right. Yeah, they have a good had done a good have had done a really good job uh, promoting and marketing the area, but I still feel like it's a little secret. <laughs> in well, regards to California. That's, that's kind of good for us, <laughs> yeah. I guess. <laughs> in our own backyard, we're really lucky to have yeah, that. We but are. I love doing the groups because, um, you know, it's diff totally different than just walking in off the street with you and a friend. If we right. do a group, they they usually try to do something special for us, mm -hmm. um, even if it's just give us a discount or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. it is. So it really, the having the group, having the numbers does make it a little bit, it brings it up a level. Definitely, definitely. Um, so since you've been at Ollie a few years now, have you seen any changes or has it evolved much from when you started or? Uh, 
Well, yes, I, I think it's getting better all the time, thanks in large part to your leadership, really. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You've done a really good job, I think, in expanding the offerings. The uh, the catalog is, oh, is, is really good now. It really has, uh, I don't know, is better organized, has more information, that sort of thing. Um, mm, I think I, as I noticed that... Um, We've sort of seen that long distance trips um, don't don't work that well with our particular membership. Uh, shorter day trips seem to seem to be oh maybe the maximum or the right. the fit fit most people better here. Right. Yeah, we've um, discussed that several times on the curriculum committee mm -hmm. over the last few years. Like we want to make sure it makes sense for our constituency, our members, you know, um, and I've said it a million times that every Ollie is completely different. There's 124. Um, if you've seen one Ollie, you've seen one Ollie because they're so completely different. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, by design. They want us to be able to meet the needs of what our members want. And the sure. challenge we were having with going um, like on out of town tours or excursions was um renting a bus or some mm -hmm. kind of shuttle was very costly and we were just not getting enough people. Mm -hmm. And there is competition out there for there's other places people can go to do that stuff. Sure. So we decided, you know, maybe that's just not our niche. Right. You know? Right. Um, um, but local, we do want to focus on local for sure. I mean, we still mm -hmm. want to offer local and day tours of um, different things because there is a lot to see here in San Joaquin right. uh, well, County. I, in thinking about it, a couple I really enjoyed that were local. It was the one was the McCollumy Fish Hatchery, which is up by Comanche. That yeah. was that was fascinating to see yeah. how that works. And there were some some great birds up there, some hawks and <laughs> <That's right. laughs> kestrels and ospreys and all all those good birds. Um, another one I enjoyed was a tour of just downtown Stockton architecture. Mm, yeah, um, was was fascinating. Um, I enjoyed. Uh, out of town, and I'm not sure we'll do these that much anymore, but the Oakdale Cheese Factory and the trip to the Santa Clara Mission were mm, both yeah. uh, were both good trips. But um, I, you know, I understand the constraints on trying to yeah. to f to fill those. Uh, you know, I was thinking another trend I've noticed is seems to me we're we're starting to offer more. Um, I wouldn't call them long-term classes, but extended classes of maybe six to eight weeks, that sort of thing. Uh, I think there's perhaps a demand for that, uh, that people want uh, to go into certain subjects a little more in depth. Right, um, right. Because <clears throat> with the lecture series, it's part of your mem membership. That's the most popular thing we do, right? So mm -hmm. we want a huge variety in those. So one week it could be about history and the next week it could be about civics and then the next week it could be about i don't know what else do we have um oh, art, religion art, or art, art yeah. yeah so every week mm -hmm. we try to do something different and i do feel like it's almost a teaser because <laughs> you get <laughs> yeah, enough yeah. especially if it's a topic you're not familiar with mm -hmm. and you're just like oh wow i've learned something really interesting i want to learn more about it mm -hmm. um yeah, so we are we have slowly been trying to weave in a little of more classes on uh, to more topical classes. Um, it's been a I don't know if it's the topics or how you know it's 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 a process figuring out what's going to work. You mm -hmm, know, we mm -hmm. think we people are telling us they want 
to do a certain thing and then we give it a go and then no one signs up for it or low enrollment. Right. So that's always a challenge when it comes to programming. Sure. Um, right now, a popular class is the Great Decisions class, mm-hmm. which is um, through the Foreign Policy Association. I, I was excited to see that one and I, I wanted to take that one, but I, I didn't really have the time this semester, but I, they've, they've had those classes for a long time and right. I think they do a really good job. And Gene Bigler is, is great as a instructor yeah. or a lecturer. Yeah. Um, I think perhaps, I, I don't know. I think perhaps with our membership, a lot of people are content with maybe the one shot thing <laughs> with right. the lectures and they don't want to really devote more, you know, commit more time to it. Right. Right. So, yeah, it's a balance of trying to figure that out. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the Great Decisions class has been really popular. Mm-hmm. Um, Gene Bigler, Dr. Mm-hmm. Gene Bigler, actually brought it to us and said, you know, this form, the Foreign Policy Association has been doing this program for years. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a great fit for Ollie. He's gone to other mm, service organizations or educational programs that offer it. And he's been like a guest speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, well, if you're willing to facilitate the whole program, <laughs> which is eight weeks, I'm happy to do it and set mm-hmm. it up. And um, yeah, I was happily surprised that we have 20 people that signed up for the oh, class. Great. So it's a full class great. and it's very, I just left there. It starts at 10 on Thursdays and it was, um, it's like a buzz. Everyone, mm. the, the energy and um, they do kind of have homework, like mm-hmm. study mm-hmm. for, and he picks uh, two people to help host the class so they come in and he wants to hear like their perspective so -hmm. they can just focus on that week and you know um Mm. and they're bringing snacks every week so that's Mm. (laughs) that sounds really good yeah Yeah. it seems like they're having a great time and uh, hopefully we can continue to offer that it's a Mm -hmm. it's a yearly uh program that the foreign policy association puts out and they pick eight like topics um, of current events Mm -hmm. and obviously foreign topics that affect everybody. Um, Like the first week was um, climate change. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. everyone everyone wants to learn more about climate change. And there's another one about um, human trafficking, Mm -hmm. which I think Mm -hmm. is uh, recently there's been more awareness about that. So Mm -hmm. anyway, there's eight different topics. Usually some tie into different countries and, yeah, I hope we can continue doing it. You know, I, the funny thing is I remember reading some of those booklets and having some of those discussions back in high school, back in the early 60s for me. Um, and they they did focus a lot on, you know, the, the hot issues. Even back then, there was like the Palestinian-Israeli question. Mm-hmm. What and they had focused more on specific countries and mm-hmm. issues at that time. But right. No, it does too. Yeah. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. one for the Philippines. I think there's one for mm-hmm. India last week. Mm-hmm. And Gene had a guest speaker last week. So, mm-hmm. I mean, really great class. Did yeah. you actually take the program when you, or are you just familiar well, with it? Well, it? it was part of, we had a really progressive teacher. And it was part of the class was oh. to do some of the uh, the. Uh, Oh, the the what was it called? Is it great decisions? I don't know. Yeah, the, great decisions. The great decisions mm-hmm. uh, topics. We right. didn't do the whole thing, but we did some of them and use the mm. the booklets and so forth. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we're able to offer it, and I I think with the good, you know, um, 
we had strong interest in it that we can continue to do it as long as mm-hmm. Gene's up for it. <laughs> uh-huh. Right, right. Because he's a draw too. You know, he's a known entity at Ollie. He's very, very knowledgeable. Oh my gosh, he's mm-hmm. a great resource for us. We're so happy to have him. Right. And hopefully he's up for yeah, it. Yeah, I try to go to all his lectures. And I was thinking the the lectures that are my, have been my favorites are his and uh, Bob Benedetti's mm-hmm. lectures about Stockton history and the Delta and so forth. Right. And one in particular I remember was um, when Simon Rowe gave a talk about Dave Brubeck. And um, that might have been before you. No, I don't remember that. Even here. It, it was funny. really interesting because people, he was very enthusiastic. He he was head of the, um, the Jazz Institute at <clears throat> the Brubeck Institute mm-hmm. at uh, UOP for several years, and now he's over in the San Francisco Conservatory starting a similar kind of program and probably drawing away students from who might otherwise come to UOP. But um, he, he gave a talk about Dave Rubeck and his background and so forth, and people shared in that group at O'Connor Woods, had a lot of memories of Brubeck and uh, were all very enthusiastic about it. It it was a memorable, really memorable lecture. That kind of reminds me of the um, lecture that Philip Merlot gave. Mm -hmm. Well, he's been, he's on his third lecture with us this semester Mm -hmm. and he does Stockton history Mm -hmm. and he had a great time talking to people in our audience, our members after, because they're Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I remember that. I was there for that. And, you know, I'm sure he doesn't get to talk to people every day. <laughs> I've, I've heard his lectures, and they are, and I do remember that people saying, uh, "You know, I was, <laughs> I was one of those people out in the fields working, uh, yeah, you know, around World War II." Right. Yeah. yeah so, um, that's really great that we have those resources in our membership. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Experience a lot of this stuff, and mm-hmm. um, and I'm glad that Philip's been a Ollie uh, contributor uh, in these last few years too. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to his lecture coming yeah, up because I he get did. to introduce him. In oh, the, good, in the, thank in you the, for the next one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's done. He's writing a book, and the two lectures he's done so far it was called Metropolis Lost One and then Metropolis Lost Two, and now this semester he's doing. Metropolis found oh. with a question mark. <laughs> right, right. So mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to that. Me too. Um, so, um, yeah. So thanks for being such a great advocate for Ollie and participating. And I, I really well, it's, appreciate it. It's been it. my pleasure. I hope to be able to continue yeah. for many more years. Yes. So with that, um, we're winding down the, the podcast interview. It goes by fast. Um <laughs> At the end, I usually ask people, you know, like what advice they would give to other people that are retiring or find themselves, um, you know, in regards to the aging process, um, why it would be important to participate in Ollie or what words of mm. wisdom that you might have for them? Well, for me, um, in retirement, it really helps to have some structure, to have some things to get up each day and, and um, look forward to and have a regular schedule. And for a, before I found Ollie, I uh, would go to yoga three times a week at a certain time. And that, w- that, was, that was good for me. And Ollie provides the same sort of thing in a way, a structure of some regular activities that are fun and that also stretch your mind. 
And um, I think that's really important. I, my wife passed away in 2008, and I've lived alone since then. I had a couple of cute dogs, but they've since passed. Mm. So it, it can get pretty lonely, uh, especially on the weekends. So it's good to have, well, it's good to have some connections. Uh, the, the people have been important too, the, the social connections through, through Ollie. Um, but oh, I don't know, I guess, I guess what I would say is keep busy. You know, um, there's, there's a lot out there still going on, a lot of new things happening. And, um, I've, I've taken some of the computer classes I, to keep up with some of the latest developments in my, in my field, especially with so, social media and the, right. the cloud and learning how to do photos better with my, on my uh, smartphone. There are just a lot of things out there that, um, well, that Ollie can provide some answers for. <laughs> right. And the technology part is changing so fast all the time. Yes. It's, you know, that's, mm -hmm. I'm so glad we offer those kind of computer classes to help our members, you know, stay yeah. stay on top of those things. Yeah, and, and also uh, help protect people from being victims of scams yeah. that uh, right. are, I think, increasingly frequent over the phone and right. uh, over the computer. Yeah, and not to sound cliche, but knowledge is power. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right. So with that, I think we'll finish up this um, podcast today. I want to thank Alan for being my guest. And well, thank ahead. you. Yeah. Thank you for having Thanks me. Thanks for volunteering again. You always volunteer. I Allow me to volunteer you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I ask politely, but you always see us. So I'm really appreciative. Well, I, I enjoy doing it. <laughs> good, good. And I just wanted to give a special shout out to Katie, who um, does all our editing and producing and um, uh, runs the... Um, Pacific Tiger Broadcasting Station here. We couldn't do it without her. And um, on that note, uh, we'll wind down the podcast. And uh, just remember to stay curious. This podcast was brought to you by Pacific Tiger Broadcasting. Check us out on Instagram at PTB Live or on our website at ptblive.com.